Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the news, the financial news that can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course. We help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week! What a show! Three articles, two Wall Street Journal, one Barron's. We just keep finding these big, short hero Michael Burry articles. So, first one to look at is how to get rich and famous from a stock market crash. We will then go into our listener corner where we were sent an article headlined U.S. tech giants scrambled to abide by new EU rules. Should the indexers like myself start sweating? And then in closing, we're going to look at a Barron's article where I confess my own temptations for individual security selection and what you can learn from my own understanding of two stocks that are highlighted, AT&T and Verizon. So let's start at the top. How to Get Rich and Famous from a Stock Market Crash by Mr. Spencer Jacob. The article begins, sooner or later a crash is coming and it could be terrific. So this was actually set in 1929, weeks before Black Tuesday. For those that need a little refresher, the Great Depression would shortly follow and the largest stock market crash in history in America where they lose 90% of their value from top to bottom U.S. stocks. So they called it the Babson Break. Okay, because newsletter writer Roger Babson would reap fame and fortune from his timely call. He would found a college and run for president. But what folks forgot is that he also predicted trouble in 1927 and 1928 and later on made a premature recovery call, this article explains. In 1987, Elaine Garzarelli predicted a collapse before Black Monday. She became the best paid strategist on Wall Street for a while, and I love this, and went on to run some poorly performed mutual funds. The pattern continues. In 1982, Elliott Wave theorist Robert Prechter predicted a roaring bull market after a stock spent 16 years in the doldrums, but he also predicted a bunch of crashes that never made sense, never materialized. So Michael Burry, we've, we've mentioned him before, he's the latest seer, okay? He made a successful bet in the 2007-2008 housing bust that made him rich. Christian Bale played him in the Hollywood adaptation of Michael Lewis's Big Short. This article explains. But he also made at least five dire predictions in the past four years with comments like, could be worse than 2008, greatest speculative bubble of all time. Get this. Each time after Mr. Burry made these calamitous predictions, you would have made money if you bought the S&P 500. The average annualized gain was 34%. About four times the index long-run appreciation. So, I find this just absolutely amazing and a great reminder. I'm so glad the Wall Street Journal is highlighting this because they can also be the um, purveyors of these calamitous prophecies and that are not always helpful for us, clearly. But I want to go through each one. Okay, Michael Burry. <laughs> he said there's a bubble in passive investing. After that, the stock market went up. Looks like about 5%. He said he made a significant bearish market bet. Stock market's up about 100%. Uh, 
from that. This, these are six-month annualized S&P 500 rise after Michael Burry's warnings, okay? So it's like he makes this prediction. Six months later, what's the return? And then boom, make it for the year. Greatest speculative bubble. It's, uh, it's up almost 25%. Could be worse than 2008, about 20%. Sell, up 26%. So the, you, you realize what's happening. You could have like a reverse indicator. Every time this Michael Burry says, this is it, this is the end, you go long. Put your money in stocks. That's how difficult this is. And we don't, I don't say this to pick on Mr. Michael Burry. He's probably one of the greatest short sellers to ever do it. It just shows you how difficult the game is. When you're predicting what the stock market will do in the short run, like he's trying to do, you're actually predicting what other people will do before they know they're going to do it. I'm going to say that again. You must know what someone else will do before they know they're going to do it. Now, that is hard. Why do I say that? It means that you know someone else is going to change their mind and engage in a lot more selling, pushing the price of an entire index down. Oh, that is so hard. So, so, so hard. So, this guy's probably one of the best, Michael Burry, but it just did, didn't work. And you're going to see more and more of this because, oh. I feel like I hear more on this. Here it comes. Here comes the big one. I mean, it may be true. It may happen. It's not actionable advice. Clearly, if, it, if there's any action to be taken, it's, it's to go long. It's to go long. So, stay the course, team. Stay the course. It talks about all these different stock market bombs where it goes down. 1929, 1973, 1987, 2007. What it says is there's always going to be a cacophony of online voices predicting calamity. I forget the, gosh, I forget who said this quote, but um, for some strange reason, men like to hear that the world is going to pot. I cleaned up the language a little bit, but be careful. Know that about yourself, know that about myself. We could just like hearing bad news, and the newspaper certainly loves saying it. So, all right, next up, Robert's Corner. We had some good, some good action today. Some people who were solicitous of my impressions on this article and some other financial news. This was interesting. I wasn't anticipating anyone care about this article, but I got a question, so here we are. Delighted to get it. Headline, U.S. tech giants scramble to abide by new EU rules. Some of the impact will hit right away. Changing how users scroll, search, and shop online. From Brussels. Brussels, right? This is, this is where the EU lives. It says This article says, this is Kim Mackerel and Sam Schechner. The hammer is about to come down on some of the world's biggest tech companies. Meta platforms, Apple, Alphabet's Google, and other large and largely American tech companies will by next week start facing the first of new European Union tech rules set to come into effect over coming months. Marking the largest expansion in digital regulation ever in the West. <gasps> I love the way they make these things sound so terrible. Um, and so the the listener wisely wisely asked, "Hey, is this going to hurt our index funds? Because is you know, is it not the case that most of your plain vanilla U.S. index fund and even your global index fund is packed with these large global tech companies? I listed the Meta." Facebook, Apple, Alphabet. Should we be concerned? All right? Should we be concerned? Well, let's first talk about what regulation does and doesn't do. 
a little walk down memory lane. As I've mentioned previously, I just finished Titan, the book about Mr. John D. Rockefeller, who, in one of the most famous examples, was regulated heavily by the Sherman Antitrust Act. Teddy Roosevelt, others came down and eventually split up his Standard Oil. And class, what happened after it was split up to Mr. John D. Rockefeller and the fortunes of those companies? They improved dramatically. Dramatically. Chernow in his book even goes back to say, you know, this was one of the best things that ever happened to him financially. For a number of reasons I won't go into now, but regulators are usually a couple innings behind where they should be. Not to, not to disparage regulators. I think there's a place for it. In moderation, of course. There's a place for it, but they're usually a couple innings behind, meaning by the time they get down to regulating, the, the competition's already taken advantage of whatever has happened. But a couple principles to keep you on the straight and narrow here. One is the efficient market theory. I'll talk about this from the next example. This is baked into the stock price. So believe it or else, as this information was happening, this regulation's been coming for years, a discount in the market size has been applied to all these companies. So it, what, what, what shocks the market is when something happens they don't expect, buyers and sellers don't expect. So if there was no regulation, that probably would be a surprise and the stocks of these large multinational tech companies would go up. But as you'll notice, nothing really happened to the tech companies. Okay, so this news comes out and okay, this could be really bad. What's gonna happen to all these big tech companies? Not a lot happened to the market. Not a lot's happened to the tech companies. Why is that? Well, it was already baked into the price. So no, no secrets there. It's actually, it's, you know, this article comes out. It's up, uh, Google's up about 50% from the lows in January. Well, January, that's not January. There's bigger fish to fry. So no, uh, investor, you don't need to worry about these things. But what a great, a great article to uh, push our way because this could potentially make us think, oh, it's actionable. We need to we need to sell maybe or diversify. You always diversify, but you don't need to do anything. You don't need anything. And then um, I had a friend of the show send me concerning, alarming news about an individual security, Charles Schwab. And uh, it, gosh, it got pretty detailed, but it talked about basically their capitalization and, and it ranked you know, Silicon Valley Bank and uh, various other banks that had failed and then showed Charles Schwab and just how, you know, how similar they were. And they asked, I said, hey, like, what, what are you thinking over there, Robert Hunt? And I thought, you know, great question, because I do think about this. I just went to the stock chart. And I said, well, Charles Schwab, the stock is definitely taking a hit, but it's not priced to zero. I mean, the market, the market doesn't believe that its capitalization is that bad. It's got a $105 billion market cap, meaning the investors have assigned that large a value to the company. So I don't think about it one whit. And my confidence comes from, get this, about 5 million shares of this stock Charles Schwab are traded every day. So every day there's a vote going on on what should the fair market value be of Charles Schwab. That's a lot of eyes on one company. That's a lot of a lot of people transacting, confessing that, yeah, I think this is the right stock price, 58 bucks or so. So I don't worry about it. Now, the detractor might say, but Robert, wasn't that the problem? Silicon Valley Bank thought it had, had equity and then boom, it disappeared. To be sure, touche, to be sure. But 
it's the exception that you would have known. That, in, you know, very few people may have been able to dice through that balance sheet, but probably not you, probably not me. What's best for us is to be willing to embrace invest, uh, efficient market theory and realize that, yeah, I'm going to trust 5 million shares being traded at this price that there's probably nothing that bad going on. It's the beauty of the index fund. We're able to price off other people. And then adventures and individual security selection. So you might think, index fund purist that I am, that I'm never tempted to even engage in the thought of investing in an individual stock. You would be wrong. You would be wrong. I think about investing in individual stocks all the time. There are all sorts of things that happen in the stock market. I think, man, if I were... If I were just picking stocks, I would not pick that one. Wouldn't put that in the index, wouldn't. And boy, am I glad that I've <laughs> embraced index fund investing because most of my ideas are not that great. And as you, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you'll know that it's like 5% of the stocks in an index that contribute to most of the returns. So most everyone's ideas are not that great. Most people do not pick individual stocks that you're going to outperform the index. It's just the probabilities aren't there. Some may, 5%, it's pretty good. You can do it, but most of us can't. So, but this is a Barron's article, harkens back to July 19th. And what I was doing is I, I caught, this caught my eye just looking at stocks. I thought, well, they, these stocks, AT&T and Verizon, they yield over 8%. 8%, I mean, it, it's a high interest rate environment. Just as a review, right now on your money market funds, at Vanguard and other places, you can get 5.25% risk-free. So. Maybe 8% is not that cool to you, but whoa, 8%. I mean, interest rates drop back down and that these dividends could stay the same. Verizon's about, this article says, 8.3 and, and AT&T's 8.1, but it's around there. I haven't, it's probably not too far off. Um, but I am tempted, I, I know this about myself, I think yield is just the coolest. Yield meaning, if you put $100,000 into AT&T Verizon, and it yields 8%. That's about eight grand a year. Eight grand a year, passive. Now, I look at that and I start to talk myself into the stock. Well, it's AT&T, it's Verizon. Their infrastructure is incredible. And they've got all the spectrum and they, they, they've got barriers to entry and uh, they're, they're these brands. And if you want to get a cell phone, like how are you going to get on another network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can find myself talking. This article kind of does that. It says, well, they have debt problems, so that could be why the yield is so high. They have limited growth prospects. That could be why the yield is so high. And then I looked at their performance. Over the last year, Verizon stock is down about 24%. That's not good. Over the last two years, Verizon stock's down 40%. That's really not good. Over the last five years, Verizon stock's down, down 40%. Whoa. Let's remember the stock market was up in these time periods. AT&T over the last five years down 46%. So now I'm really talking myself and I'm thinking, oh man, bargain, you know, shop at a bargain here. It's cheap, whatever. What am I doing right now? I'm yield chasing. As the old phrase says, more money has been lost chasing yield than at the end of a gun. Meaning, end of a gun means a robbery, right? More people have lost money trying to pick off yield than have been robbed throughout history. Now, it's an exaggeration, of course, but the point stands. I found myself kind of thinking, oh, how great would that be? 
How great would that be? But the market is so efficient. And I find that voice finally caught up and said, Robert, the market is so efficient. Go in and dig a little deeper. And I did. And I understand why the market's only giving it this, this high yield. These companies do not have great growth prospects. They have a ton of debt, a ton of debt. And they are in a pretty competitive, commoditized business now with T-Mobile. And we'll see what DISH does. They can build that fourth, fourth network to compete. But the consumer now has a lot of optionality. They didn't have 10 or even 15 years ago. Stock market's woken up to that. Stock market's realized, yeah, you know, I don't, even though the, even though it's hard to compete against these businesses, you or I couldn't go in a garage and decide we're going to build out Verizon better. It's tough, tough for these companies to, to, to grow. So anyway, I just created this battle in my head back and forth, back and forth. And you know what? The market is probably right because it usually is. It's probably fair value for these stocks to trade where they trade. Verizon at 33 bucks a share. AT&T at 14 bucks a share. Bet you didn't know you'd hear that on the Robert Financial Podcast. We're giving tickers. T for AT&T at 14 bucks. We're giving uh, share prices. But press on, index fund investor. This is yield chasing. And I can almost be sure that I still would have liked this stock 10 years ago. And I would be down 44% on AT&T. If I invested 10 years ago, I'm, my money's basically cut in half. Uh, and you might say, okay, 10 years, you're down 40%. The stock market's up 156%. That's about a 200% swing from doing my fun stock picking adventures, not including dividends. So what an expensive habit, what an expensive hobby individual security selection is. If you want to do it, I encourage you, have a fake ledger. Fake stock picking ledger, or if you really have a lot of self-control, take like one percent of your net worth, no more than five percent, and engage in individual security selection. It is a great lesson for you. If it keeps most of your money indexed, it's well worth the exercise. Um, what you'll find out, I suspect, is that you're not that good at it. I'm not that good at it. Indexing is the best. Keep at it. So, stay the course, investor. A lot of folks are saying, buckle up, put your money in cash. Here comes the storm. Who knows? What we do know is that if we can just control what we control, keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, and keep that time horizon long, that's what's going to give us the best shot on our investing journey. Until next week.